Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. I do. I do. I think the room is starting to shape up. I think that, you know, another year together, them understanding me, me understanding them, the ones that are, are coming back, the new additions that's coming in, you know, they're buying into it. You know, we just got to keep working, knowing the offense, knowing uh, where to be and, you know, what we demand from them. And the first thing is just how impressive, you know, like the ball jumps out of his hand, you know, physically everything, like got everything you want, you know. So from that standpoint, just seeing him is like, wow, this dude's really got a chance, you know, and then getting around him and seeing, you know, how he works, how he, you know, takes criticism and wants to learn and get better. Uh, all those things are really, really encouraging to be around. Welcome to the Fan Midday Show on a Thursday. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton with Eddie Garrison here on The Fan. Lara, of course, of the Colts Radio Network, wearing many hats over there at West 56th. Lara, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Great to have you in studio. I am honored. I'm thrilled to be downtown. It feels like that things are flourishing. Like it feels like May with all of like the hustle and bustle. It's a beautiful day downtown. I passed like, I think, five field trips, you know, going on. <laughs> People are out and about, and you can just tell like the excitement is palpable. So it's good to uh, have an opportunity to get out of the complex and spend a couple hours in the big seat with you guys. Well, glad to have you here and you're exactly right in terms of Indy 500 coverage you could have been in hibernation throughout the entirety of summer and most of spring and wake up tomorrow and realize that it's May and the 500 is fast approaching to that end we're going to have an, another Indy 500 giveaway today around 1:30, I believe is when we'll try to hit that so if you'd like to be a part of that a chance to win a pair of tickets to Indianapolis 500 you can do so again at 1:30 for 317-239-1070 we'll get to a number of topics today, including Eddie Garrison doubting my belief in Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat last night. We'll cover that uh, during our betting wow. segment of the show towards the back end of things. And a trip around the NBA across the board, plus plenty of Colts conversation. Quiddy Pay going to join us at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. But I want to start with Gardner Minshew, Lara, because he had availability yesterday. And I, I know that you had mentioned this before. Kevin Bowens mentioned this before. We've had James Boyden here. Everybody was looking forward to the opportunity to get a chance to talk with Gardner Minshew to see where he's at at this point, see overall if you can read any tea leaves on how he's feeling about a franchise quarterback potentially waiting in the wings. And overall, my takeaway from those comments yesterday, respectful, impressed, there to help. Everything you would expect from a veteran quarterback with the work ethic that Gardner Minshew has. You have gotten an indication now directly from Gardner of how he is this steadying force mm-hmm. within that quarterback room. And it's been nice that he had Sam Ellinger there to kind of welcome him in, too. So those guys got a quick start this spring working with a group of veterans who are already in the building. And then they have embraced Anthony Richardson. And Gardner is a guy who said, hey, I, I came in and knew that they were picking Fourth, I wanted to play for Shane, wanted to continue to play for Shane, knew that they might draft a quarterback, would likely draft a quarterback. So I came in knowing exactly that I was signing up for a number of different roles, potentially a number of different roles, but really thriving in terms of being a veteran presence that this offense really needs. And also, he's been so beneficial for all of the returning guys, offensive line, the running backs, the tight ends, the wide receivers, because he already knows that Shane Steichen system. Right. So he 
he has been able to help that group. And now, since he's had a few weeks with them, now he takes Anthony Richardson under his wings. And Gardner's a guy who played a lot as a rookie. So he can help Anthony know, hey, here's things that I experienced as a rookie in another organization that he can help him navigate. And then also, here are some of the nuances and the intricacies of Shane's system that he can help guide him on as well. Why do you think there's so much pressure put on the comments that are made by a quarterback in Minshew's situation. And what I really reference there is you, you can feel the tension the last two press conferences, two years of press conferences from Ryan Tannehill down in Tennessee, where comments get over evaluated of, oh, is he going to be a quarterback that's going to help or does he does he really care? And then I get it. It's a business, right? They're fighting for their livelihood just like anybody else is on the roster. But it, it feels like because it's the most important position, it's often over-scrutinized. Minshew didn't shy away from it, was very honest, and I thought handled everything very well, but it is a topic when franchises are in a potential transitional window, how is the veteran going to handle the pressure of the new guy, mm-hmm. and how how much is that, and he mentioned as well, the quarterback room going to be a place of unity and togetherness, how much of it is going to be a cold shoulder, I'm not helping you, I'm working out for myself. Anyone who has been around Gardner Minshew, and we've seen this in conversations that I had who knew him from his time in Jacksonville or knew him in his time with Philadelphia, he's always been a consummate teammate. And he's navigated being in different roles. He's been a starter. He, then he was backing up Jalen in Philly. So, And he's been the same guy. I mean, you see him and everyone regards kind of the quirkiness that right. he is, the jorts and the Fu Manchu and living out of the van <laughs> and playing the guitar and all of those things. But I think what people don't give enough acknowledgement to Gardner Minshew is He's a consummate professional as well. Like, yes, he's that personality off the field, but on the field, he's completely locked in. And I think one of the differences in someone like maybe a Ryan Tannehill in specifically using that reference is because Tannehill never signed up to be open to a backup job, right? He went from Miami, signed with Tennessee to be the guy and took them to the number one overall seed, right, in the AFC. And uh, of course, a large amount of that success was due to Derrick Henry and then also to the Titans defense. But he's been the dude and he has always kind of been in the position of not having to um, you know vie for the starting role or not having to groom someone behind him so it that is completely new to someone like Orion Tannehill whereas Gardner has proven his ability to be effective in a number of different roles that he's been counted on with a couple of different organizations now we were joking a little bit before the show started when me and Eddie and, and Todd Meyer came in here and asked you how the offseason was going and we all laughed for a good while about it because the NFL is succeeding at least in your job description there is really no (laughs) offseason the 24-7 cycle has continued to to dominate things and we are thankful for it for the (laughs) job security absolutely exactly what has this offseason been like from your perspective because you mentioned it again before we went on the air today that it's one of the more unique off-seasons that you've had to cover, whether it was during your, your time as an anchor, as a reporter uh, here in the city, or whether it was your time since 2019 with the Colts. Right. It has been bustling, is one way you can describe <laughs> it. There's been no lack of news or topics or storylines or things that you've wanted to discuss, because in the first time since I have been within the organization, I started July 2019, you had a head coaching change. So that was an expansive coaching search. And then once you knew it was Shane Steichen, and he 
was introduced, you had the combine simultaneous to filling out the coaching staff. So you were trying to multitask and obviously cover each of those topics. And then you're building straight into the draft, which there was a ton of emphasis um, for the Colts having that fourth overall pick. And we were producing our draft series and then covering that. And then immediately, you know, within a couple of days, Anthony Richardson was in the building the next day after being drafted. Um, And then a couple of days later, all of the rookies come in the building. So we haven't really stopped whatsoever. Um, It's been so exciting. And that's an indication of not only the exciting time that it is that it feels within the building, but also the amount of interest there is externally. So that's a great feeling to have. And we'll get through the next few weeks with the guys doing, you know, the offseason workout program, the the OTAs, then the vet mini camp. And then maybe we'll maybe we'll take a little bit of (laughs) of an opportunity to enjoy a few weeks of an offseason in June before we ramp things up in late July and we're we're all at Grand Park. Yeah, to my knowledge, the NFL has yet to announce a a massive convention that's taken over the month of June. They dominate pretty much every other month, but they've kind of let June alone a little bit in that regard. Larry Overton with us here on the Fan Midday Show. For the Colts and the rest of the AFC South, uh, the commentary that we've been referring to this division, at least post-draft, is they realize the quarterback's arms race that has suddenly occurred just within the AFC as a whole, like not even taking the other side of the league into account, whether you look at Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers there now. Lamar Jackson. Right. When you look at all those quarterbacks and then you realize what happened in division this offseason, all the potential quarterbacks that could have come off the board outside of Bryce Young are now in division what has been your process like as you look around not only a totally different Colts organization, but a relatively different AFC South across the board? And you look at the fact that, that Jacksonville is only continuing to get even right. better and the strides that they made in the course of just one season under Doug Peterson mm-hmm. and then the additions that they're going to have. That's a huge factor. One of the things that you look at is you embrace it because there's nothing better than when those teams within your division are relevant and you get the opportunity to prove who you are against the rest of a division that is on the rise. How often have we heard people say, oh yeah, the Colts won the division, uh, but look at how weak the division is, or it would only take this to win the division. And there's been such kind of a disparaging of the AFC South. And now I feel like you can't say that any longer. And that's a really good thing because you want interest to be high. You want when Houston and Tennessee see in Jacksonville come here to Lucas Oil Stadium, you want to be sure that means something. And it's not just, a, oh, this is a game you should win. You want it to say, oh, this is an exciting matchup that's going to prove who is among the best and who should be in the conversation for those teams that are going to be contenders in the AFC conference. Yeah, With Anthony Richardson, and you look at the trajectory of him and just that entire draft process to now as you've kind of seen him a little bit at rookie minicamp I mean I've I've liked what I've seen from from the little footage that, that I've been able to come across or from what's been put out there from cold social media he's obviously starting a little bit to get the love nationally that you see whenever they're taking their, their trip around the other rookie minicamps what has been your takeaway from this soon to be 21 year old or knocking on the door of 21 years old uh, rookie for the Colts. I think he loves football. He loves being part of a team. He loves to see what is being built with the organization. Um, you know, he he has that very you know youthful energy that you would uh, expect from a guy who's 20 years old and living out his dream of playing in the NFL when he, you know, we, we've 
put the clips out there where he's dancing or, you know, bounding out, skipping out almost onto the practice field. But make make no mistake, he's very much like when it needs to be serious, needs to be locked in. He's able to be that. I think so many people have seen, you know, the lightness of him and, you know, the excitement of his ability to make plays with his legs and, you know, just those dynamic type of plays we saw time and time and again when he was at Florida. But he also is a hungry and energetic learner where, you know, locked in in meetings and being engaged and all of that. And so I think that for everything that you're seeing that you thought he would be the dynamic type of player and person, he also is really thriving in terms of a role of adapting to now being a professional and what the expectation and what the demand is that that requires in the NFL. And then also realizing the great people who he has around him. He was familiar, certainly, with, you know, with Shane from the pre-draft process and the work that they did in those private workouts. You know, of course, Jim Bob Cooter and Cam Turner and that. And he knew, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor and had quick conversations with them. But now he's also learning, okay, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly in this offensive line. Okay, now I'm able to get up to speed with them. Also, now learning the vets on the defense and then the remainder of the rookies, too. Now he knows, hey, I'm playing with Josh Downs. Okay, that's exciting for this reason. And we've established a quick connection. So I think that those are the type of areas in which he's been, you know, advantageous in making sure he's capitalizing on all of the opportunities that are now being presented to him. You mentioned the veterans on defense, and we're obviously going to have a conversation with Colts defensive end Quiddy Pay here at 1 o'clock or, or around there as the availability is made. A special thank you as well to Matt Conti and the Colts for making him available for us today. But obviously this will be his third season, and you look at as he gets up there into veteran status or very early veteran status yeah. within this team. One of our biggest priorities when we were discussing the Colts offseason before they hired Steichen was Look, it didn't feel like the defense had much of the blame from last year's disappointment, right? They, they they kept them in almost every game until towards the tail end, which you can only ask so much of it a defense for 17 games when the offense isn't producing. We felt like it was paramount for them to retain Gus Bradley. Obviously, that was a, a point of emphasis for Shane Steichen. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. How critical is that with the veterans on this defense to, to get another year out of Gus Bradley here in Indianapolis, despite the new head coach over at West 56. It's huge. And it's something that I asked several weeks ago, Zaire Franklin, Mm -hmm. about just the expectation and the standard for this defense being that they are the unit that is able to have the carryover and the continuity within this system. And then with also bringing back the majority of this defense, very few departures, the most notable being, of course, Yannick Ngakwe and Stefan Gilmore kind of being those two. But one of the things we learned was it was a big learning curve for this defense to adapt from what they'd previously done for all of those seasons and under Matt Eberflut, Eberflus mm-hmm. now to the intricacies and the differences that we know of the Gus Bradley system. And that was a pretty big jump from what was being asked of them and maybe some of the different philosophies that Gus had versus what they'd only known really right. under Coach Eberflus. So I do think that this defense feels like that they have a lot to prove coming off of last season. The takeaway numbers were not where they wanted to be. Shaq Leonard is a big Mm -hmm. factor in that. So I think that this group feels like there's been a big investment in us. You signed guys back. You retained guys. You extended guys from this defense. You brought Gus back. We have the entirety of this defensive staff back as well. That makes it 
there's something to prove. We need an ROI on what they right. have given us and what they've afforded us in terms of allowing us to give this another year together and see what we're able to produce. And they're a really hungry, hungry group to be able to do exactly that. And then you've added exciting pieces, mm-hmm. too. You know, guys like Juju Brent yes. and Darius Rush and all of these guys um, who are going to be called upon to be impactful within this defense. And I think you heard it a lot if you guys listened two weeks ago to Kenny Moore's press conference and how personally he takes this season. Shaq Littered, too. A lot of these guys are drawing upon personal motivation, not only for their own individual success, but to reestablish the forces that they can be within this defense because they saw it all last year with what DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart and, you know, Bobby Okereke, what some of those guys were able to do, what Stephon Gilmore was able to do. And now they're, you know, looking introspectively and saying, okay, I want to prove that I can be a factor and be a force again within this defense. And we have every opportunity to do that this season. Well, and you mentioned Juju Brents and the amount of, I don't want to say pressure out of the gate, but there will be expectations for him as this is his first of many auditions to take a starting spot within that secondary and with so much turnover potentially on the horizon at corner next offseason. This is obviously a, a, a contract year for Kenny Moore. It's a contract year for Isaiah Rogers and the Colts are going to have decisions to make with this defense. That's the part I find so fascinating because I know DeForest Buckner mentioned it, and some of it was tongue-in-cheek, but some of it was honest for where things are at, where he went through that rebuild early on in his career in San Francisco. And I know no teams like that word, but even if it's not a rebuild, if you want to find a nicer way to to call it what Mm -hmm. it is, they are aging to some extent, some of the key players of this defense, and, and they understand that whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else down the line for their careers, like the I don't say they're running out of opportunities, but time is of the essence for them. The fact that you have that type of buy-in from these veterans, the fact they're not having to learn a brand new system yet again and are still able to take a second year now with Gus Bradley, I felt like was huge, not just for them being able to pass it along to the incoming rookies, but also for the veteran core that you have there. Oh, completely. And I think, what do we call it? Maybe a revamp instead of a rebuild? Is that what we can? Is that a better way to put it? I'll ask DeForest if he approves of revamp. But you're exactly right. This is a, a team that so many of the guys are in you don't want to say win now mode, but I do think that that's somewhat of a reality for a lot of these guys. You never take for granted the fact that each year that group of 53 guys never looks the same one year to a next to the next. Sure. And when you have a group that has been through as much as this group has, you want to see them have the success that is deserved and that they've all worked so hard to try to accomplish. And, you know, these are guys, too, who have had an incredible impact on the franchise, on the community in the time that they've been there. And they've endured a lot. And at the end of last season, DeForest was really honest in saying, you know, nothing is promised to any of us. We, you know, we know exactly what each offseason means. And so I don't think that they take any of this for granted. But yeah, they're everyone's very well aware of the time that is looming over them to produce and to find the success. I mean, we were talking the other day, like, who are the guys that were part of the team that traveled to London to play the Jags? And, you know, it was because 
because we were talking about, oh, who were the guys who did that trip who would know? And I'm like, Ryan Kelly and who else? Right. right? Like some of those, you know, more veteran guys, They've there's been that much t- turnover in just a handful of years. And yeah, you do want to prioritize like, yes, OK, we're going to be patient in terms of developing this offense under Shane and under Jim Bob and, you know, this young core of talent when you draft 12 rookies and then have a lot of additions surrounding them too there is certainly a patience that is warranted but for the veterans it's also a sense of urgency going back to veterans but this time on the other side of the ball and and specifically that wide receiver room obviously led by michael pittman jr i as many as as much as anybody was banging on the table for him to be able to have a breakout year last year i'm willing to concede that some of that wide receiver room was definitely held back by the turnover and the carousel that was not just the offense as a whole from a coordinator standpoint, but from the quarterback room being what it was. What's the vibe been like around the wide receiver room right now in the early stages of the offseason with Pitt and, and with Alec Pierce and you know Isaiah McKenzie coming in and, and what they're going to have expectations across the board for this receiving room in the fall? even if it is Minshew or if it's Richardson. One of the best things for this group of wide receivers is that Reggie Wayne is back. Yeah. One of the few holdovers from last year's offensive staff who is there. And this wide receiver room needed that, I think, because Reggie said it a couple of weeks ago. He had media availability yesterday. But we also... Uh, heard from him a few weeks ago when he said he felt like he had unfinished business, that he underperformed last year. And you think about, too, this is Reggie's first year in coaching, even though in the latter part of his career, he was that almost hybrid player coach being in the room that he was and grooming guys like T.Y. Hilton to then step up and be the guy once Reggie moved on and retired. But I think that that's one of the biggest factors for them is having Reggie's influence and And he is, you know, I think Reggie's excited with the direction that this offense is taking and also with the variety of young receivers that he's able to work with. He's incredibly hands on. He's exactly who you knew as a player, as he is as a coach. And to have Michael Pittman seemingly embracing a greater role, having more responsibility, um, I think has been incredible. And we have seen it seems like Michael embrace what is going to be expected of him in that capacity this year because once you moved on from T.Y. Hilton your veteran guys were Ashton Doolin and Paris Campbell who are incredible teammates and incredible influences in that locker room but you didn't necessarily have like that defined one guy who owned that room and I think that Pitt now feels empowered to do that and he also sees the difference that his voice makes you know he's not an incredibly like bombastic guy but when he speaks it matters and he has certainly garnered the respect of the guys who are around him in that room and I am excited I mean you know Isaiah McKenzie brings in a ton of experience that he can add to that group as well especially to help someone like Josh Downs right. within that role that they're likely kind of I don't want to say they're identical in the roles that they would play but there are some similarities in their skill set in their game that they would bring to this offense and excited for Alec Pierce too after last season and you know he had incredible flashes and indications of the great receiver that he can be and that tandem of, of he and Pitt and then the other guys surrounding him are a really good thing for not only an Anthony Richardson, but also for a Gardner Minshew to know what you have to work with. 
just like it can be very tough for rookie wide receivers, and, and which is why I always am careful with how I judge them like I was last year with Pierce, it's incredibly hard for rookie wideouts depending on how exotic the offense is, to get a feel and get their bearings in the National Football League. Well, it's sometimes thrown by the wayside or forgotten about, but that's the same with any first-year head coach. And for Reggie Wayne to go through, like every other coach on that staff did last year, all the uncertainty at times in the back half of the season, for him to come back the way that he has in terms of this chip on his shoulder, referencing the murals and, and, and the, the paintings on the wall within West 56 and wanting to add to that as a coach now, I mean, that's exactly the type of response that we would have expected out of him, but also it's a type of mentality that is needed for what Shane Steichen wants to do offensively. You're completely correct. And I think that Reggie brings in that sense of pride for establishing this organization and putting it in a position of prominence in the NFL. And, you know, you don't want to always cling to the nostalgia and, oh, this is what we did when I was here as a player. I think Reggie has a great investment in making sure that the type of tradition that we have long known is instilled in this group that they have and the direction that the vision that Shane has is something that's exciting, I think, to Reggie. I mean, he... The thing is, Reggie's not a career coach. He has done so many things since his own playing career. We've seen him as an analyst on NFL Network. He has tons of other interests and passions in his life and certainly is in a position where this is something that he wants to do. He doesn't have to. He's very, of course, comfortable and established in his own right. But I think this just goes to show how invested that group that was part of that decade of incredible success for the organization now has in continuing to build that and see the future of that in you know this new era and this new vision that Shane Steichen has with a young you know dynamic quarterback that he now has to work with and also Shane inherits a very strong group of veterans as well that are carried over that have bought into what he's trying to do. Larry Overton is going to be with us all day here on the Fan Midday Show. We'll have plenty more on the Colts and a conversation with Quiddy Pay coming up at the top of the hour. But first. We head to the other pro sports team in town, the Indiana Pacers. They missed out on the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes, but they now know where they're picking and have an opportunity to build around this young core. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace joins us around the corner on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton in the DriveHubler.com studios. Tonight on The Fan, trackside 7 o'clock, Beyond the Bricks 8 o'clock. This has been the routine for the last week or so, so if you're not adding that to your month of May schedule, you're missing out. You need to change that tonight. Plus, we'll have Lakers and Nuggets Game 2 in progress at 9 o'clock as we effort and work on Alex Golden. He's good to go. 
Thank you, Eddie Garrison. Alex Golden, host setting the pace, covering the Pacers throughout the year. Always good to get his perspective on things. Alex, I want to get your thoughts on how the lottery shaped up. And I know you were tweeting through it like I was. Uh, Could have been worse. Not the outcome that Pacers fans wanted. But, hey, we're not Detroit, right? we got that going for us. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great thing. I mean, obviously... Any any chance you can get the move up, it's it's what you want. But they didn't fall back. They get the Rockets pick at thirty two, and you know nobody jumped them. So that was that was really nice. And like you said, Detroit falling to five was actually a blessing in disguise for the Pacers too, because it keeps Victor Wembanyama out of the Central Division. So I, I think honestly, it was probably like middle of the pack what you wanted to happen. But you know, wasn't the worst thing, wasn't the best thing, but I think that I, I can live with the results that, that came with it because I, I think seven's a good spot to be in. Alex, and hearing some of, Ed, there we go. Alex, and hearing some of the reaction about the guys, the talent, the prospects that will be available at that seventh pick, it seems like that the, it's kind of broken into three tiers of where those guys are within those first few picks. And looking at your recap of a lot of the mock drafts and compiling what the voices across the NBA are saying, what are the likely selections, the options that would be available for Indiana at seven? And which among those do you feel like is the best pick and selection for fit of what the guys are doing, what the Pacers are doing right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think if you look at the top three, it's Victor Wimbenyama, Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller from Alabama. And then a lot of people have already slotted Amen Thompson in there at number four. So it, it's been kind of jumbled up between five and eight. And, and that's where you've got Cam Whitmore, Asore Thompson, uh, Taylor Hendricks, and Jairus Walker. And Anthony Black's been in that mix as, too, uh, as well. But I don't really think Anthony Black makes a lot of sense for the Pacers because he is a primary ball handler, and the Pacers already have that. So the first four that I mentioned, I think you can make a case for each and every one of them. I think Cam Whitmore might have the highest potential of all of them, which does get me excited. But if you watch his game, he does have a lot of similarities to Benedict Mathern. So I think he's got a better defensive upside to him, but that does make me a little bit you know, curious that that might be too redundant if they're the same type of player. Um, I think a lot of Pacer fans, I put a poll out yesterday, they are very excited about the idea of Jairus Walker here because a really good defender. I think he's got the highest floor coming into the draft of these four players just because he's going to be good. I just don't know how good he's going to be. Is he going to be a role player or does he have a, the, the chance to be, a, to be an all-star? And offensively, I don't think he's got that in his game, but Someone like Taylor Hendricks from UCF is probably the player that stands out to me the most because he's six foot nine, uh, over a seven foot wingspan. He can shoot the ball, forty percent three point shooter in college last year, as the best player on UCF, and he averaged fifteen points a game last year. I think that he's still quite a you know got a ways to go. He's pretty raw, but as an overall talent, I think that he could fit in seamlessly with the Pacers with what they need. And I think he's just got a little bit of a higher ceiling than someone like Jairus Walker. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. When you look at the depth that's present in this draft, obviously there's only one generational sure thing, it would appear anyway, going into the NBA draft next month in Victor Wembanyama. When you look at what else is present and the amount of picks the Pacers have at their disposal, is there enough assets in the treasure chest without breaking the bank for them to move up to the inside the top five if they wanted to? That's a great question, and I honestly don't feel like there is a path for them to really get up there because, to me, I'm not trading away a bunch of stuff to get in the 4-5 range. 
if you could get into the top three, like Portland, another they're a team that's been rumored to be looking to move that. They want win now players. Well, the most win now ready players for the Pacers are Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton. Obviously, we know Halliburton's not going anywhere. Could Miles be on the move? I mean, I I don't really think that that's going to be enough. Miles plus seven to move up to three. I I just don't see it. So now you're talking future assets, or you're talking someone like Andrew Nimhart and potentially even Benedict Mather just to get conversation started, which to me is a no-starter. So at that point, I don't want to get my hopes up too high for that, but if the Pacers were able to get involved in like a three-team deal type thing and maybe try to sneak in there, that could be something of interest, but I think it's just going to be very difficult for the Pacers to provide win-now players for Portland to get up into that top three, and that's the only reason... I would really consider moving up at this point. Looking at the guys who the Pacers have returning, the pillars that they are building around, and then looking at the position they are in within the draft and then another season under Rick Carlisle, how close are the Pacers with what you expect them to do or what you would suggest that they do this offseason to getting back into playoff contention? We know this last year was somewhat of a, not to overuse the term rebuild, but that was what you expected it to be. But how quick can they put themselves in a position to be contending for the division, to be contending for a playoff spot, looking to the vision of 2023? Yeah, I think as long as the Eastern Conference has Jonathan Tadakumpo in it, <laughs> the Pacers are not winning the Central Division. I mean, he's just that great of a player. And then I think there's still a few notches away from where, where Cleveland's at. But I, I do think that they're not, they're not too far out from being a playoff contending team. I think they have a chance to make the top six and We'll see what happens with the the rest of the Eastern Conference because there are a lot of question marks there. So, to me, I think based on the production we saw last year, the way that these guys overachieved and played up to their level of competition in that stretch during late November and all December and before Halliburton got injured, they were on pace to make the playoffs. So I I think that they're there, but I I think at the same point, they're not ready to contend for a title yet. Maybe compete in a first-round playoff series and then maybe win one. So I think right now that the smartest thing to do is just continue to build within. Don't try to go go crazy this summer and make a bunch of all-in moves right now. Maybe if you make a big move for one, that makes sense. But going all-in and trading a bunch of future assets, I don't think that's the smart play right now because I think it's going to take a few years for Benedict Mather and Nimhard, your draft pick this year, Tyrese Halliburton, to really gel and mesh together. But I think getting them playoff experience next year would be huge. And I think they have – the pieces right now to do it. You add a few in the offseason via the draft and free agency. I think that they can get into the playoffs once again. So what would your command be to Pacers fans in terms of the expectation and maybe the, the degree of patience that they should have with building within the group that they have and what this unit can do maybe this season and then over the next, say, two and three seasons? Yeah, I would say just be patient and let these guys develop and enjoy the growth because Benedict Matherin had a terrific rookie season, made all-rookie first team. I think Andrew Nimhard was deserving of the second team at minimum. I mean, we saw what he can do defensively. I think that you feel very confident with Tyrese Halliburton and what he can do, and he's still just scratching the surface. He's 23 years old, and most players don't enter their prime until around age 27. So I would say give it a few years, see what the Pacers can do, and, and just root for good basketball because I think we, we got a taste of that this year. It just wasn't. Uh, consistently long enough for them to really feel like it could benefit them and get them into the playoffs. But I think that if you can just be patient, let them grow, and let them get that playoff experience, just stay patient and and stay the course because we've seen it before. When they try to 
do this, you know, build this team that's a tough out, that fans were getting tired of that, and, and they weren't able to move off the first round of the playoffs. So I think getting Tyrese in there with some players around him uh, would be the smart thing to do, and, and fans just need to realize, hey, we're in a good spot. Let's not rush this thing, and let's not get impatient. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace here with us on The Fan. You know, Alex, one of the most perplexing, and, and there were a ton, but one of the most perplexing things of the brief Nate Bjorkman era was Dan Burke being shown the door after more than 20 years of service with the Pacers. And you brought this up on Twitter the day Doc Rivers got let go earlier this week uh, of just, you know, probably hopeful analysis of, man, this defense has struggled. Dan Burke is a defensive mind. Maybe if there was a pathway and the Pacers were on board with it, they could bring him back. Obviously, the Pacers would have to make space for him, and then Philadelphia would have to let him go. Is there a real possibility to that, or is that just wishful thinking on both our parts that that could happen? Oh, that's definitely wishful thinking for me. I have no inside sources on Dan Burke and what his contract is or anything like that, but you know, you do see a lot of shuffling go on when there are coaching changes made. And if Doc Rivers gets a job somewhere else, maybe Dan Burke follows him. But we know Dan Burke was very loyal to the Indiana Pacers organization, and we do know that him and Rick Carlisle were both assistants when Larry Bird was the head coach here at one time. And I think when Carlisle was the coach, obviously, uh, uh, Dan Burke was his assistant as well. So there is familiarity there. The Pacers do have a very strong coaching staff. And I don't know if they really need to add another voice to it, but I just feel like Dan Burke's defense, we saw the highs of it, and the Pacers were the number one team in the league a couple of different times with Dan Burke kind of running and anchoring that defense. And I just think that because of the defensive struggles, it would not hurt to get another defensive voice in there. But at the same time, I think this was a Kevin Pritchard decision, and it wasn't really a Nate Bjorken decision. Mm. So I think that's where there could be a little bit of a tie-up there. But I think that we've kind of seen how Carlisle has been able to impact things maybe before that you know weren't going to be able to happen. So I think that Carlisle's voice is just a lot stronger in that, that front office and that locker room. So that's the only reason I thought about it. But I just think Dan Burke's a very under underrated coach, and people realize how much they missed him once he was gone. Speaking of the prominence of this Pacers defense of the past, I saw that you retweeted something from the Pacers earlier today. It was 10 years ago, the Roy Hibbert block on on Carmelo Anthony that you mentioned, maybe the most impactful block in Pacers history. You say, can't think of another block that stands out as much from the postseason. Roy Hibbert's performance, 21 points, 12 rebounds, five blocks, most notably that one at the end of the game. Do we give enough respect and acknowledgement for Roy Hibbert and the career that he had? And should that moment be more highly regarded in terms of the impact that it had? That's a great question. Yeah, I think I think Roy in the moment, you know, he had two all-star seasons. And the, the rule of verticality really did benefit Roy Hibbert because I just feel like in today's NBA, there's no chance Roy could make it out there just because of being able to switch everything. But in that time, he was he was really a great player, and I think that he stepped up to the challenge and, and really became that anchor for us. And the year after that, when they brought in Andrew Bynum and stuff like that happened, it really did mess with him mentally. So I, I really hate that. I hated that for him in the moment because you could see he was just not in a groove, and we saw the Atlanta Hawks just kind of uh, – show us a preview of what the league might look like when you can have a center step out and shoot threes when they had Perro Antich out there, which people probably forget about him. But, uh, you know, he gave Roy Hibbert a bad name in that series and the Hawks took us to seven in the first round. But, no, I think that block by Roy Hibbert 
Uh, I did get a lot of replies back saying, no, the most impactful block in Pacers playoff history was Reggie Miller getting blocked by Tayshawn, but we don't want to talk about negative. That's just positive stuff here. So that's where I was like, I'm, I'm talking positive things. I just think Roy Hibbert was such a big part of the NBA at that point that they kind of had to change the rules because of some of the stuff he was able to do. So uh, he does not get as much love as he deserves, I don't think. Positive vibes only. I like it, Alex. Always appreciate yeah. you making time for us. I know you're going to be covering it throughout the off season, but anything particular on setting the pace we need to watch out for in the coming weeks? Yeah, I will, I will say this. Uh, Sunday we are scheduled to have Pacers GM Chad Buchanan on the show, so that'll be good uh, if you're interested in hearing what he has to say now that we know where the Pacers are drafting. Obviously, Kevin Pritchard has talked openly about it, but I enjoy hearing Chad's perspective as well. Um, they're both on the same page, but it, it's cool to be able to talk with Chad about things and maybe ask him some questions that haven't been brought up. And then we'll have a mock draft uh, coming out tonight, and tomorrow it'll be a two-part episode because we're going to do 32 picks with that. So if you're interested in mock drafts and seeing what some experts think, we got a couple guys coming on that cover the draft regularly to help us with this. So that'll be some fun content. But thank you all for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Alex. Yes, sir. You can follow him on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA and can find all that coverage in the lead-up to the draft from Setting the Pace wherever you get your podcast. Still to come, Quiddy Pay going to join us. We'll get his thoughts on, as Laura, as Laura mentioned over earlier today, a wildly chaotic but fine-tuned offseason. Yeah, That's eventful, the better yeah. word. Eventful for the Colts. And now that things have finally settled down, how he is preparing for year three in Colts uniform. Kevin Bowen, Katie Wingy as well throughout the show. But Quiddy Pay, top of the hour, right back after this on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton with Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show. Quick segment for us here. Still to come, Katie Wingy, Kevin Bowen, and Quiddy Pay. Inverse order there. Quiddy Pay will join us top of the hour. Colts very much rolling in full effect in terms of offseason workouts. And like you mentioned, even though the players, the grind never stops. The, this is continue a, a fight to the finish line until the brief little gap between now and training camp. Yeah, and Eddie Garrison is really bringing it strong mm-hmm. on the rejoins there. The soundtrack today has been just top-notch. She doesn't so, mess around. No, does not whatsoever. You're in mid-season form, so no off-season for you. But yes, players, um, they do have work on the field going until about 1 o'clock, and then as he steps off the practice field, Quiddy will jump on and kind enough to take a few minutes to, uh, to join us this afternoon and update us on kind of where the team is right now and looking forward to a few more weeks that they'll all have together before they take a few weeks to go off and go their separate ways to enjoy the latter part of June and then July before we all regroup at Grand Park in late July. We can also ask about the schedule, too. 
Do you think we can make him go win loss? I'm just kidding. I know you hate that. And he's <laughs> yeah, not going to do that anyway. <laughs> we talked about this last week. <laughs> there's still plenty of showtime. I, we could perhaps uh, have it hidden in a segment, oh, and no. disguised as a, as a scantron or something, for you to have to <laughs> fill out uh, win loss records for the Colts. <laughs> That's Lara Overton. I am Jimmy Cook. Conversation with Colts defensive end Quitty Pay when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton for the Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison guiding us throughout the afternoon. Quiddy Pay going to join us here in just a little bit. Getting ready for his third season with Indianapolis Colts. We talked a little bit about it in the opening segment, Lara, that it's very imperative, not just for him, but for the entirety of this Colts defense to have that level of continuity that even with the changes at the top, with Shane Steichen having Gus Bradley back to lead this defense for another year. It will be significant for this group and for the defensive line in particular. Nate Ollie did great work in his first year leading the defensive line for the Indianapolis Colts. And he is somebody who's incredibly vibrant and dynamic and hands-on and has had a great impact in just that first year that he's had with that unit. And of course, if they can get Shaq Leonard back, who was just posting some updates on his Instagram Instagram today of some of the progress that he's been able to make in his rehab. All of those factors, of course, are going to be immense in terms of the contribution from this defense and what their expectation is as well. And Zaire Franklin has not shied away from setting what the expectation is for that group. He and DeForest Buckner among the very influential leaders, not just for the defense, but for the group as an entirety. And one thing for Quiddy is, you know, staying healthy will be a big priority for him. He's had nagging injuries that have lingered in the first two seasons that have had setbacks um, and that have somewhat um, kind of hampered his ability to be as effective as he wants because he has so much power and speed that is you know critical at his position. And sometimes, especially when he dealt with the hamstring, hasn't been able to be as free off the edge as what he wants to be. So I know that'll be a big factor for him and prioritizing this offseason and he also in recent years has spent time in whether they've had the time off before the offseason workouts or time over the summer he has been one who sought out the advice and the guidance of DeForest Buckner and they've gone and trained together and worked with some different specialists some D-line specialists together so it will be interesting to see what his plan is for June and July once they're you know out of the complex and free on their own but you know Quiddy is one who from the moment he walked in his rookie season being the first round pick that he was he got it he knew exactly what it was has been a true pro through and through and has always had just such a 
composure and such a poise that has surrounded him. And that's why he has continued to be one of those guiding forces that is among this defensive front. And he knows who he has in the middle of that line, anchoring things with Grover and with Defoe. And that is only going to you know, improve his ability to be a force, you know, on the end. You mentioned the kind of compounding of injuries that felt like were a number of times last year, every time it maybe was turning a corner, it would be something else, or it'd be, as you mentioned, the hamstring or, or his ankle. Mm -hmm. And that can be tough when it happens so early on in the season, you're having to battle through it the rest of the way versus having, at least to this point, what appears a clean sheet of an off season for him and staying healthy until the start of the season. So you're not having to battle through that right out of because everybody's eventually playing hurt. That's the old cliche, but it's true. By the time you get to week 10 and week 11, it makes a massive difference when you're starting the season already, you know, behind the eight ball. And a couple of factors too that I think weigh into that is the previous two years, the Colts bye week came so late mm-hmm. that you didn't have maybe one of those mid, more mid-season type of buys that is able to uh, be a benefit to you in your rehab and in your recovery. And then two, the Colts went through these sluggish starts to season where then they were also playing from behind, not just in terms of within games, but within the records themselves. So you felt like that there was always this factor of guys were having to push through a little bit because you never had an opportunity to feel like you you found an early groove and you were able to settle in. It seemed like that at certain points that you were having to always catch up or try to re-solidify, situate yourself in terms of catching up and gaining ground after you'd fallen behind to start the season and I think that that has a big impact on guys and the pressure they feel to try to play through certain things or to battle through things or maybe you know not have as much time as they might need to truly get to the point where they feel comfortable coming back because they haven't had any sort of that luxury uh, the last few years that Quiddy's been a part of. It also is a true testament to the veterans on that team with how often they were put in holes and were asked to answer the bell, it would have been very easily or it would have been very easy to cannibalize within the locker room and and point fingers everywhere and kind of pull the rug out from under the offense or them throw it right back at the defense respectively. There was clearly some turmoil when the coaching change happened and how everything was adjusting with Jeff Saturday on the fly and still trying to regroup as a unit. But the fact that for the most part, that defense held true despite the injuries they dealt with really speaks to the veterans that are on this team. It completely does. The, they're just absolute professionals, and I think they all looked at themselves and said, "If as long as we're doing everything that we can, that's that's all that we can do, and this is tough enough Like to have any sort of blame or finger-pointing or, or any of that is not going to be at all conducive. We know, you know what is happening externally surrounding us, and that cannot infiltrate exactly you know, what we are doing or who we are or the belief that we have in in one another you mentioned Quiddy pay not being afraid to reach out and DeForest Buckner not being afraid to reach out in terms of a player with more experience willing to help out a younger guy you would hope and we'll obviously talk to, to Quiddy about that when he's here that that's knowledge that's passed down to the point that when he sees this rookie class he would want to pass it along all the same you would expect nothing less from him and that's critical for 
the growth. We talk about it so much with what Anthony Richardson's going through on the offensive side. It's especially true for these defensive players in this rookie class as they get acclimated to what Gus Bradley expects from them. And I, even when he was a rookie, you felt that Quiddy was a leader, even at that point on. He never walked in and, and felt like, oh, no, I'm not ready to be thrust into this position. He embraced it from the very beginning, and he is very much lead by example. He's relatively you know, soft-spoken, as you guys have had an, an, enough time sure. around him to know that, and he does. like He just conducts himself and carries himself in the right way and asks all the right questions and is takes so much pride in his craft and in refining it and in developing it and in studying and in being in the meeting rooms and all of that. He is someone who, you know, from the first day he walked in the building to now, you you don't see a lot of change in how he's conducted himself, even though he has grown into now being a, a veteran within this group because he didn't need to. It's exactly who they drafted him to be. And, you know, he wasn't taken fourth overall and he's, you know, not a person who's stepping into being a hopefully quarterback of the future. But anytime you're a first round pick, you walk into a building with immense pressure on your shoulders and the expectation that you are going to be a huge contributor. And so many people were well aware of Quiddy and his story uh, coming out of the University of Michigan and his family and his background. And I mean, it's just such an incredible Mm -hmm. story. And so they were all so aware of him. There were a lot of people that had put such a spotlight on him already walking through the door and he never shied away from that that's what if anything he's the one who puts the most pressure on himself even more so than anyone externally because he has those goals in mind and you know he knows the type of production that is expected of him and he does not back down from that if anything he sees the guys you know around him and the numbers that they're putting up and the position that they're putting him in to be successful and he only takes great ownership in terms of making sure that he is pushing that bar and setting that bar higher and higher year in and year out and you know, Dio Dangbo was part of the same draft class that Quiddy was, and he had that Achilles tear coming out of Vanderbilt that he was coming back from and continued to try to progress through even the entirety of his rookie season. So his second year was almost like a redshirt rookie season for Dio because of the, he hadn't had the off season, of course, that he would have wanted due to his rehab from the Achilles injury. So I think that both of those guys are at this point now where you have great expectations for what each of them can be and they have these complementary skill sets of what they each bring to the table and that's a really incredible thing uh, for this defense and now with Gus Bradley too knowing what he has in those young guys and how he can utilize them should be an asset for the Colts defensive front. Quiddy Pagan to join us here in just a little bit as we wait him I want to stick with the Colts but I want to go down another avenue uh, news that came out Earlier this week, Mike Chappell was one of the first that was on it. Obviously, the Colts announced it publicly as well. But everybody gets excited about the joint practices over the last couple of years <laughs> and the opportunity that's present, not just for both teams to evaluate where they're at respectively in their offseason programs and their gear up towards the start of the preseason, eventually the start of the regular season. But those joint practices, when you look at decreasing the amount of preseason games that happened just a year or so ago, I don't want to say they're they're a full-scale dress rehearsal because they don't have the, the pageantry of it, but they are just as important now as that fourth preseason game used to be in terms of 
the ability to get real reps against opposition before the season starts. Because it's ones-on-ones right. in those scenarios. And when you get to preseason games, there's kind of, in most situations, a bit of a gentleman's agreement. All right, we're gonna we're not playing the majority of our starters. We're only playing a handful of our starters. It's really going to be our you know second and third units. And so the great thing about the joint practices is that it's best on best. And you saw that last year you know, when Detroit mm-hmm. came in. And that was a great test of course all around offensively and defensively for this group and you really the other thing is it's a huge benefit to the fans what an awesome opportunity you know to see one team's offense go up against the Colts defense and then the Colts offense to go up against the and it's all happening right there in front of you you're almost getting you know two good games in one exactly with what you're seeing and it's free and it's open to the public you have to endure a little bit of the heat of Westfield at that point in the year but it makes it well worth it and it's exciting to see those you know, those joint practices be embraced and supported and to see that continuing, especially when we get to boast such a fantastic facility with Grand Park. Every year, the teams that come in will tell us this is amazing. The amenities that are here, the type of experience that there is. So, and I think that the players and hearing them, they love it because the fans are so close to you. You feed so much off of that. They love the opportunity to sign the autographs and meet people after practice and do all of that. And it also helps break up training camp. You get into this routine of going up against the same guys week in and week out, day in and day out. You're ready to at least go up against somebody else, even though maybe you can't hit them how you'd like to. It's at least good to see someone different, especially to see a different skill set from the quarterback that you're facing, because if this defense is only seeing Gardner Minshew and Sam Ellinger and Anthony Richardson, okay, let's go up and let's see what does someone like a Justin Fields, you know, what is different about what he's able to do. So then when you do go into the regular season, you're well versed in a number of different guys who you've gone up against and recently so that you're able to draw upon and you're able to adapt to and, you know, make those tweaks to what you need to do given certain situations. So it's a really good way to break up that grind of training camp when you get a different body that you're going up against. You get somebody else in a different color jersey in there for the first time and somebody's playing on, you know, your home away from home when you're the Colts hosting at Grand Park. I know why, like it makes sense why you'd want to have that pairing, right? There's ties there with Ibrafluss, there's ties there with, with Frank Reich and Ryan Poles from their days in Kansas City, but I know you'll do a better job of this than myself since you're directly with the team, but it's hard for my eyes not to light up and for fans' eyes not to light up with the idea of seeing Justin Fields and Anthony Richardson together in the same, obviously not on the field at the same time, but within the same progressions and the same opportunities that joint practice is going to offer, especially when, even though the Bears are probably a step ahead of, at least in their mind, where their rebuild or retool is building under a young quarterback, the Colts kind of see that and are aware as they're in their infancy with this process with Anthony Richardson, what the Bears have had to do to try to build around Justin Fields. It does seem like, of course, it's almost the the flip-flop where it's, you know, Chicago got Fields in there last year Mm -hmm. and then the argument was made, oh, he doesn't necessarily have enough around them. They need to do more to provide him weapons around him. And then the reverse of that where, you know, 
Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew walk into an offense in which there's a lot, there's a wealth of resources surrounding them in terms of the weapons that they have to work with and having Jonathan Taylor in the running back room surrounding him and Michael Pittman and, you know, Alec Pierce. And then this just massive group of tight ends that they have to I mean I don't know that any tight end room looks quite like the Colts does with Moali Cox and Jelani Woods and Kylan Granson and Drew Ogletree who I am so excited to see this year after the injury that devastated his rookie season because if you flash back to Westfield last August he was making plays Mm -hmm. all over the field and if anything he may have been the farthest ahead in terms of what people expected from the group of rookies from 20 2022. So anytime, though, that you have two organizations with young emerging talent at the quarterback position, that will create a ton of buzz and rightfully so. Because you want optimism. And both, I think both fan bases are bubbling with optimism right now because of what their two teams are doing. And you saw the adjustments, and you alluded to it there, that the Bears had to make this offseason of once you see the body of work of your quarterback, and again, who is to say when Anthony Richardson actually goes under center, but once you see how he's doing, how he's progressing, you're able to really look internally and look at your receiving room, look at your tight end room, and decide, is the star weapon or is the weapons to fully benefit my franchise asset in the building yet, or do we need to go out and make a move to go get somebody else or go bring in another established receiver? You've seen that time and time again with the outside of Mahomes, because there were already guys there, the last four or five big-name quarterbacks, you saw the Bengals go get Jamar Chase. Obviously, there was an injury to Joe Burrow the year before, so it set them up to be able to Mm -hmm. do that with the draft. The other two teams had a trade for it. Bills go get Stephon Diggs. Uh, Eagles go get A.J. Brown. Bears end up going to get D.J. Moore. That is the second-year window, really, when you look at a team and you're finally able to establish, this is what our rookie quarterback did last year. This is what we need to be able to assist him down that path. And it's so fascinating that two franchises with as much history as the Colts and Bears do have similar parallels in terms of where they are as a franchise. And the other name that I would drop in there, too, something to watch this offseason is the addition of Calvin Ridley in Jacksonville Mm -hmm. and what that looks like. When you talk about established guys at the quarterback position and last year was a breakthrough, so to speak, for Trevor Lawrence um, under Doug Peterson and starting to see that emerging offense. And then you think about that they were able to do that. They obviously spent money. They spent a ton of money uh, last offseason and then also got Calvin Ridley. You add that into the mix that is that is it could be a scary scene within that offense and what they're able to do but yeah I think for both organizations I think too it's fun because they're overlapping fan base where you have a lot of people in the northern part of the state who are Chicago loyalists a lot of people around central Indiana who are Colts fans and then those who remember very well of course the Super Bowl between those two teams and obviously a ton of history rich history that there is between both organizations and you're starting to see both teams take a different approach than they have, you know, in the past. And they're in two different directions, kind of philosophically, with Eberflus being a very defensive minded head coach and building what he did defensively around that team and then trying to navigate what you do have in a young star quarterback in Justin Fields. Whereas, you know, the Colts are going in the direction of very offensive centric, young you know, smart, savvy 
head coach, first-year head coach, as Iberflus was a first-year head right. coach last year, but a different way in which they are building that and having the established defense already revamping, so to speak, the offense under him. It's going to be exciting to see exactly how much you're able to see of this offense because head coaches are so strategic in not showing too much throughout training camp and throughout the preseason. You have to get enough work in to accomplish what you need to do, yet there's also the little bit of navigating of not showing too much in joint practices and in preseason games that you really, truly you know, give anything away. But in knowing what Shane Steichen's pillars are and what he wants to build around and then also the proven, um, you know, offensive uh, mindset and offensive, you know, philosophy scheme that he has that you've already seen with what he worked with in Philadelphia. How does he massage that now for the strengths that this Colts offense has and the people who you have here that are different from who you were utilizing? I mean, now you have a Jonathan Taylor. You didn't have a Jonathan Taylor, you know, in (laughs) Philly. You had Miles Sanders, a great back, but right, completely type different person and and different player, different um, pro. So I think that all of those things will be interesting when we think you know when kind of flip the calendar up to august you mentioned earlier how for years and years really the last decade it's felt like the afc south has always set itself up to be in contention for any of these teams and it hasn't always been because they're all really good it's been there's been struggles up and down the division and the Jaguars, when we had talked to J.P. Shadrick of Jaguars.com a couple weeks ago, the Jaguars feel like they are clearly as a franchise in unknown territory, right? They finally are the team that thinks they have the franchise quarterback, that, that thinks they have, for lack of a better example, the Peyton Manning to dominate the division for the next decade. And that's obviously on the table for them right now. They think they've found that marriage with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence when you look at the rest of the AFC South, and we mentioned earlier that arms race that's happening, it's fascinating to see if this is finally the year where the South has not so much, oh, well, they stumbled into that division win, but is there a team or two that are really dominant with the same strength of schedule paired up with the NFC South can get clear separation in what has been a it's been a it's been a struggle at times for a power vacuum to finally be taken away and one team to rise as the clear front runner. The Colts want that to stop. They want to be back in the conversation. Jaguars want to push everybody aside and say, no, this is our division now. They do. (laughs) And I think that certainly when you saw what they were able to do in that playoff game against the Chargers, this is a team that is certainly one who is going to be in the conversation moving forward. And not only do you see the AFC South and the teams within it trying to establish themselves to find immediate success. I mean, there's a ton of urgency with all of these teams to get it right, but it's also not only who has solidified a plan that makes you good now, but who's going to have it for longevity? Who's establishing themselves as long-term contenders? Because you always have, season after season, a bit of a flash-in-the-pan type of team. One that emerges, they're good for a year, and then because of whatever factor, turnover-wise, they're not able to recreate it and find that magic and capture it all over again. So that's the other thing, is with all of the change that you have seen, and you know, with, gosh, with Houston, you know, new head coach and a ton of additions within the draft and then this is 
it'll be interesting to see what Tennessee does this year. A new general manager, same head coach and same quarterback, but, you know, you're taking a different approach than maybe what you have in the past. And then, you know, Jacksonville gets, you know, another year to continue to try to capitalize on the footing that they found last year, the success that they had and the momentum they built last year. But who's getting it right in terms of big picture and who is going to be able to have this sustained success and be a team that you're talking about, not just for the next season or two, but, you know, the next three to 10 type of years. And I think that that's what a lot of people are hoping for. And that's why I think a lot of people are hoping that you can find a bit of patience with the young talent that you are building within this Colts offense because you're looking big picture, you're looking long term and hoping that you have these pieces that are going to be the foundation you build upon for success moving forward for the long term. That's Larry Overton. I am Jimmy Cook. As we mentioned, Colts are in full swings in terms of their offseason program, so we're still waiting for a conversation with Quiddy Pay. If they're able to make that happen today, awesome. If not, obviously we totally understand with where things are in the buildup in between these next couple of months to training camp, but still to come as well. We'll have our Indy 500 giveaway, a pair of tickets on the line for the 500. We'll have a trivia question for that as well. Kevin Bowen and Katie Wingy still to come here on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075 The Fan. From the drive. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Huber.com Studios is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton with Eddie Garrison. Oh, we have an opportunity. Want to give a special shout out to one of our favorites on the Colts beat. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic moving on up. Zach just posted on Twitter that he's got a new gig, going to be a national features writer. Still with The Athletic covering the NFL at large. You've seen his coverage throughout his time covering the Colts, whether it's with the Star, whether it's with The Athletic, and everywhere in between. And for him to take this next step, obviously well-deserved. We both are talking during the break. Very happy for him and looking forward to seeing his action both in long and short form, whether it's on Twitter or with The Athletic for the NFL as a whole. So very well deserved for Zach, who I have known as a long time. He is a good friend as well as a peer, someone who I respect so greatly in terms of not just his work, but his professionalism. And the good news is he and his wife and two daughters are staying in Indianapolis. So while it's a national level role, mm-hmm. he's able to continue being based here out of Indy, which is a wonderful thing. So he'll still be able to, you know, drop in on, you know, Colts or Pacers or, you know, whatever the Command is from the athletic, but also excited to what to see what he can do from a national perspective because we witnessed the incredible influence the Luck podcast had that he did last summer and how many people took notice of the work that he's doing and also 
the creativity in terms of the way he's telling stories and finding unique ways to tell stories outside of just, you know, digital print media. So excited to see what he is able to do when he's empowered to do that from a national level. Yeah, I mean, that... Luck Podcast is a prime example, and, and there's a number of feature pieces as well for him on, on different topics, whether it was the dismissal of Frank Reich, whether it was just in general, the, the Luck retirement, the list goes on. There's so many of those stories out there across the league, not just within Colts camp of this franchise, but there's plenty of other uh, wild, crazy, and unique stories that he's going to be able to, to dig his claws into as a national rider with the Athletic. Cannot wait to witness it. And as I told him on Twitter, so excited for him, but also I will not forgive him for abandoning the beat <laughs> uh, because he's always someone that I very much look forward to um, in terms of being able to share the locker room with and the media room with and, and all of that. But so very excited. And what a win for the Athletic, too, mm-hmm. to find a position in which they are able to to continue to value Zach and allow him to grow on that perspective. We were discussing with another writer for The Athletic, and he's been involved uh, throughout the process of the Fan Midday Show as well, but James Boyd is with us, and obviously he speaks very highly of Zach and how interconnected the two of them are, but the fact that Zach will probably sprinkle in some Colts coverage on that national side of things because, as James told us, he's very excited to get the opportunity to cover Anthony Richardson and what this next era presents itself for the Colts, which which just speaks of how interesting and fascinating this next chapter is for this franchise as they have a pivot from, okay, maybe we're a Band-Aid or two away to, no, we need to get this position right and have it established for the long term and what this beat is going to present for all that are able to cover it. So thrilled for James. He has already proven himself to be uh, just such a, a talented writer and just one of, as you guys well know, one of the best oh, yeah. people. I didn't know James very well. I was familiar with his work, but until he started covering the Colts this past season and have really, he is just absolutely so delightful. He's so much fun to have in the media room, in the locker room, and he really has such a unique perspective that he takes in his writing, one that I really enjoy, and I always love to see what his vision is, being someone who's from the outside looking in, and the perspective that he brings, and the way he examines different factors, and I thought it was so funny. The introductory press conference with Anthony Richardson, James like just is like, hey, I, I'm the, remember in the combine, I'm the one that asked yeah. you about being a project <laughs> quarterback. Like he owns it straight up, and Anthony Richardson just laughed about it immediately. And and of course, like James has this wonderful like self-deprecating, yeah. um, you know, uh, air about him in that. And so it was it was great. It was such a light note, and it was great that James found a way to work that in, and then still got such a great question and then great response from Anthony to it as well. But yes, yeah, so excited for Zach all around. Excited for James to continue to thrive in the role that he is and know that Zach will, you know, be always a a text or a phone call away for not only James, but of course, everyone with who's within this area from, you know, calling to weigh in on different types of things and the different national scale stories that he'll now be able to tell. And congratulations for all of us here on the Fan Midday Show to Zach Kiefer, well-deserved as he heads up to be a national writer for The Athletic, but as Lara mentioned, won't be far away from us. And of course, I'm sure he'll still be making regular appearances here on the fan. We talk about the hype surrounding Anthony Richardson and the ability to be able to cover him. But when you look at, we know we mentioned this earlier in the show, but 
the amount of time that you have spent covering this team and now for the last four years working in concert with the organization through their media platform, this has to be just as fascinating for you and all those involved with Colts.com and the Colts radio network having this, I want to say answer yet because I want to put the pressure that far on Richardson, but he knows and the Colts know that this is a, a pivotal moment in the history of the franchise for what the next five to ten years potentially look like here in Indy. It's and not just because of the investment you made in this draft, but also because you hired a new head coach and it's a it's a young head coach who is eager to prove himself being a first year head coach. He's had immense success already as a coordinator, an offensive coordinator that took a team to the Super Bowl last year underneath another former Colts coach in Nick Sirianni. So it's a huge investment too in the belief in Shane Steichen and what he is able to do now in a head coaching capacity with the roster that he has. So certainly there is there's immense um, excitement from the players that you have among those in this draft class, of course, of course, Anthony Richardson, but also the excitement of seeing exactly what Shane Steichen is able to build here as well, because it seems like that, you know, the philosophy he brings in, we're starting to see and we've had a lot of conversations about this, like the page is turning mm-hmm. in what the landscape of the NFL looks like, what you know games look like, what quarterbacks look like, what play callers look like. So I do think that you're starting to see, you know, the Colts are revamping, not revamping, I guess I should say, but they're taking a different approach maybe now in terms of what they have in the past. They're adapting terms, to it. They're all. adapting, yeah. yeah, they're adapting, and I think embracing mm-hmm. a little bit the changing in navigating yeah. that structure that is the current NFL landscape. Something you mentioned earlier with something that was not present for Shane Sykin in Philadelphia that he's going to have here in Indianapolis. Great running game in Philadelphia, there's no doubt about it, but we talk about generational talent. There's been times during his very young career that Jonathan Taylor has looked and held the part of generational talent at the running back position, and while I get really excited about the idea of formations featuring Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor. It's going to be an incredible benefit, even if Minshew's under center, for what this offense is going to be able to do when you have a healthy Jonathan Taylor back there. And again, we're hoping to some extent that the offensive line is able to, I don't want to say return to the full form because the bar was set so high, but definitely an improvement you would hope from last year and how that's going to open so much up for both Taylor and this offense. I think you're you're certainly right in terms of saying, you know, return to that form. I think that that level that they had played at two years ago mm-hmm. or three years ago is the standard that they hold themselves no to. That's I mean, and they know the investment that there is and they don't shy away from or back down from, you know, ma- matching up to that challenge yet again. And so when you have pieces already, you have Ryan Kelly, you have Braden Smith, you have Quentin Nelson, and then you have, you know, the young guys like a Bernard Ryman. And then you're seeing, you know, what is going to be the winning unit for this offensive line. Tony Sperano has a position of establishing and getting the best out of this group that he has and figuring out what that best combination is going to be and then commanding guys to step up to the challenge that will be there to you know protect the quarterback 
whether that's Gardner Minshew, whether it's Anthony Richardson, whatever it turns out to be come the start of the season. But what you do have that you have not had the luxury of having in the past is in any of those regards, a mobile quarterback, Mm -hmm. a quarterback who does have the ability to make plays with his legs. So that is something that... I don't want to say it doesn't at all alleviate things from the offensive line, but it does provide you an asset that you haven't previously had when you are building exactly this offense and what the expectation is and you know how this offense puts a quarterback in the position to be successful. There's a lot of expectations surrounding Tony Sperano Jr., particularly when you look at what he was able to do in just last season in New York and the type of just almost out-of-nowhere type of bounce-back campaign that you got from Saquon Barkley. Again, John Taylor hasn't had to deal with the level of injuries that Saquon's had to, but you look at what he was able to do in New York with arguably less in the trenches, and yeah, you would hope that a new bar or a, a higher bar is set for what he's going to ask of this offensive line, and clearly his expertise and what he's able to bring to the table was heavily valued as Shane Steichen was establishing the staff once he was hired on. Oh, yeah. And and the moment, too, is for, you know, whatever you look at on Tony Sperano's resume and, you know, whoever you talk to, because mm-hmm. it's that, that coaching network is so interconnected. Whoever you talk to that's referring him or suggesting or saying, call this guy, then Tony walks into the room and he commands a room. And that's what you get. I think that's what solidifies it more than anything is you're sold on the person and immediately being able to see the passion that he has, the commitment that he has for this job, the incredible knowledge that he has, and then also what he is going to ask and how he is going to coach this group. And we got to see a little bit of it in with the next pick, the Colts draft series, when at the Combine, he was meeting with Blake Freeland and was instructing him, walking him through certain plays and asking him to break things down. And so you kind of saw immediately what he was going to expect of those guys and the type of retention that he was going to be able to command and the instruction and how hands-on he was going to be. But yeah, for all of, you know, the the accolades or, you know, the stats that Sperano could rest his laurels on, okay, this is what I did here, here. He's never going to be one who says that. He walks in and he's eager to prove what he can be here. And I think it's certainly excited. It seems like that to this offense is already really quickly, this offensive line, I should say, quickly responding to exactly what he brings in from a philosophy standpoint and being able to get this offensive line to the level of production that they expect to be at. It's Larry Overton. I am Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is with us as well. We still going to roll with 500? Is it still the plan, Eddie? Is it kind of work with things on the fly with you? So we'll, we'll, we'll operate around this. Obviously, Colts practice and, and, and finalization of things over there at West 56 still going on. So if we do have Quiddy Pay, we'll, we'll pivot here a little bit, but potentially get your phone ready, 317-239-1070. Either this segment or in between segments in the 2 o'clock hour, we will have a chance for you to win a pair of tickets to the Indianapolis 500. Got to earn, tr- earn it, though, with a trivia question answer. Kevin Bowen and Katie Wingy still to come as well as we cover more Colts and shift gears towards the NBA playoffs. But again, any 500 ticket giveaway potentially on the other side, 317-239-1070 on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. 
ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton. I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is we have an opportunity for trivia here to win the Indianapolis 500. It's good news as well for you, the listener, but bad news for Eddie Garrison's overall strain of his mind, knowing that I am now the one that's going to be giving out the trivia question. And if you've been listening the last couple of weeks... My trivia talent has been lacking. So, potentially a softball for you. If you want to go to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500, a pair of tickets is on the line, 317-239-1070. As we await those calls to arrive, again, 317-239-1070, I do want to take an opportunity, Larry, because you, we talked about it before the show started, um, a special crossover with it being Mental Health Awareness Month, yeah. the Colts kicking the stigma campaign, and a really special way that's being recognized at the track. A fantastic gesture by IMS to illuminate the pylon today with the Kicking the Stigma logo and just to celebrate and to honor what is Mental Health Action Day. And there are a number of resources that you can find Colts.com slash KTS, different mental health resources that are available and the Indianapolis Colts just informing everyone of the importance of caring for your mental health, being proactive in caring for your mental health and and utilizing whatever time you can, really urging people to take time to reconnect uh, with yourself and be able to take the time that you need and enforcing that today as a mental health action day, but then finding those practices that you can incorporate into everyday life. The campaign itself has been a massive success, and it's very important to be able to have these type of outreach programs established in our city. Uh, the Colts at the forefront of that, and great to see that crossover, especially even though it's the month of May for racing, it's good to have, in general, with Mental Health Awareness Month, that crossover makes too much sense not to happen. A great job on the part of the Speedway and the Colts for making it happen. Oh, such a great uh, gesture and you know outreach and just a show of how supportive all of the major sports entities across this community are of all the different initiatives that they take on. And wonderful in terms of reminding people the importance of their mental health, not just when it becomes a challenge for you, but being proactive in always caring for that. And then also making sure that you're looking out for others and being a resource for others who may need to be informed of what is out there and what can be supportive to those who find themselves in need. Time now for our Indy 500 ticket giveaway. Five lucky callers in line right now. If you want to try to join 317-239-1070. Lara, one through five for who gets first crack at just this very tough trivia question. You have a lucky number? Uh, Why don't we just go with number four? Four. All right. Nick, you are first up. Welcome to the show. Excellent. Nick, last year, who won the Rookie of the Year in the Indianapolis 500 for their performance on the track and qualifying the whole nine? Who won Rookie of the Year for the 500 last year? Ooh. 
I think it's man, it's McLaughlin maybe from Penske. I, I don't know. No, it's a it's a fair guess, and I'm going to say it again because he did win it the year before that in 2021. Don't come at me, okay? I'm too nice. I apologize. Let's go back to the top now. Craig, you're up. Same question. Rookie of the year winner last year for the 500. Um. No, that's a tough one. Uh, Jimmy Johnson. Look at you, Craig. Wow. Look at you out of the bag. Let's go. Got a pair of tickets to 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Hang tight for us. Eddie will gather information from you. Special thanks to Nick and Brian as well for being entrance. I feel so bad for Dennis. Dennis was on hold there. He's called every day this week, and he has yet to have the chance. Dennis, on our airways for our show. If Eddie allows it, if you call in tomorrow, you can have you can have first crack. All right, you call in tomorrow. I it might not be as, and I guess it wasn't an easy question. I felt like it was. Eddie gave me the grimace no. when I asked it. Like, no, I, like that was I a good feel, question. Okay, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself a little I round think, of applause is the, there. Is that the first one that you've given that? The, they got it wrong on the first try? I think so, because I had what I thought was a real tough question on Star Wars Day that was Star Wars related, and it got answered right out of the gate by Big Glenn. So uh, I think you've won yeah. yourself the opportunity to come back again tomorrow. <laughs> more, more, more no prizes in cash for me, but the opportunity to still give them away. And call back, Dennis. List. Come on. See it through. Go to the end of the week. I feel good. I feel lucky for Dennis tomorrow. I feel like that's the time. This this is intel that I'm glad I now have. Good eagle eye there by Eddie Garrison to know. Again, Dennis will make sure we at least give you an opportunity tomorrow to be able to get first dibs at whatever that trivia question will be. If you did not get an opportunity to win 500 tickets today, you still have an opportunity to do so. With the ride with JMV, Indy 500 tickets there as well. Indy 500 tickets on Kevin and Query. And additionally, you can go to 1075thefan.com. There's a contest on there on our contest page to be able to win tickets there. Giveaways continue throughout this week as we get closer and closer to the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. We're going to step aside when we return. Kevin Bowen going to join us. We'll get his takeaways from this past week in Colts land, how he feels about the conversations yesterday that went on with Gardner Minshew, and maybe as much as Lara loves it, maybe a little bit more schedule oh, talk no. with Kevin Bowen as well. That's to come around the corner here on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Thursday on the Fan Midday Show. Here from the DriveHubert.com studios. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton. Eddie Garrison along with us as well. Our next guest you know as a content producer and Colts beat writer on 107.5thefan.com as well as the co-host 7 to 10 a.m. of Kevin and Query. He is one Kevin Bowen. KB, I gotta admit, I know I'm gonna be out there on Friday. 
but I'm jealous. I see the videos on Twitter. You're, you're taking in a, a picturesque day over there at IMS, and we've lost you, but that's okay. We'll get you here in a second. Kevin Bowen did just tweet out a video a couple of seconds ago. I'm going to find it now. I haven't and, seen and, this. And, 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 and you got the, the cars racing by. You got a great crowd there at IMS, and from just a weather and overall condition yeah. standpoint, I understand if anybody's listening, that is it all tied to any of the different teams out at IMS. I'm knocking on wood right now to offset this, but <laughs> two great weather days so far well, in we, terms the, of uh, where things are at right now. Over the earlier speedway. in the week, it was a little bit, yeah. you know, it was a little difficult. It was just uh, those showers in the afternoon which right. really spoiled things earlier on, so good to see they're able to well make up for that uh, with the conditions that we have today, and it looks like that we do have our Kevin Bowen now joining us. KB is here. Kevin, I'm going to blame it on how fast the cars were moving. Just totally took out the connection there. How's IMS today? Yeah, gosh, I don't know what, what the deal was. I, I'm actually just leaving ah. the track right now. So I don't know if I had a little dead zone at like 30th and Cold Spring <laughs> or what. So apologies on that front from myself. I hope you went ahead and reported that outage. You know, it's going to be pretty busy around there in the next couple of weeks. You know, want to make sure there's no <laughs> no dead spots for uh, for anybody trying to, try to make those type of calls across the board, even if they're not radio hitch. You know what I mean? Yeah, 30th and Cold Spring a week from Sunday is probably the place. Probably the last place you want to be leaving leaving the track at about, whatever, 3, 4 o'clock next Sunday. Kev, we're always going to dive into a lot of Colts, but what was it like to be able to take in the Speedway once again? And I, I know that you were as excited as I am to be able to be back out there for Carb Day on Friday with, with our host of shows. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a postcard day here in Indy. Um, Any time that you're out there, I, I really enjoy today, it looks like. And I'm sure it's like this kind of every day out there, but tons of school kids running around there. And I think it's just an awesome experience for them to get, you know, potentially their first taste of what it's like. And, you know, for me, this is much more of a fan event. And I don't, obviously our station is the fan, but like purely as me sitting in the stands and taking it in and not necessarily – you know, writing or doing, you know, a ton of radio around it. Obviously, our show contributes a huge chunk each day. And like you said, Jimmy, we'll be out there for carb day. So it was awesome, man. Um, just to sit in the stands for about an hour or so and watch cars turn laps. And you're kind of looking at these paint schemes. You're like, oh, boy, that one really stands out. That one I really like. So awesome, awesome day to head out there. So if people uh, can get a chance this afternoon, uh, I say head over to 16th of Georgetown. KB, I'll get to Colt's question, but very quickly, I want to get in since you mentioned, you know, you got the field trips going on or you're seeing all the kids out there for the practice days. I know a few friends of mine who let the kids like play hooky for the afternoon and they've been out there watching practice. What is the youngest age that you would be willing to take, you know, Rosie Bowen and young Max out there to have their introduction to IMS? Well, that is a great, great question. So last year, um, and by the way, great to hear your voice, Lara. Um, <laughs> I, last year I took Rosie and she would have been what? She'll be three next month. She would have almost been two. It took her to qualifying day. A lot of trips to the old uh, French fry and, and, and hamburger concession area. Um, we did catch, you know, purple car and the pink car were our favorites. So Elio <laughs> and, and Simon Pagino have that paint scheme. Kyle Kirkwood, I think will be a favorite this year as well. Um, she actually did pretty well, all things considered. It was it was calls, I guess, was the fast twelve uh, last year on that Sunday. So that's going to be the goal again. We're gonna we're gonna take Rosie Bell out there. I, I showed her the tickets yesterday. She was thrilled about it. Uh, we'll see how long that she makes it there. But 
I would say right around, you know, kind of, you know, approaching two, three, if you're prepared to make a lot of trips to concession stands, I think you can do it. (laughs) I love it. Now, switching to, you know, my favorite topic to talk with you about, and one that we are fortunate to talk about pretty often, whether it's media room or out on the practice field or on game days. But hearing from Gardner Minshew yesterday, biggest takeaways in terms of how he is embracing now being a part of the Indianapolis Colts and whatever his role might be might be with this offense as they move into 2023? Well, I'd say first off, just what a great personality. I mean, I, I, I just, I couldn't stop asking questions yesterday just because I felt like he was you know, such an open book and, and has, he just seems like a chill dude. And dude, you love to throw a cold one. Honestly, a guy that I'd love to be in the infield with over at, uh, <laughs> over at IMS. But, you know, I, I felt this way when they signed him from afar, Lara, and like, you know what? I feel like he is kind of the perfect makeup for what you would want in a backup bridge quarterback, however you want to define it. And like, he just strikes me as a pretty low maintenance, go with the flow type of guy. But at the same time, I don't want to seem like he's like lethargic or, you know, something like that. I mean, clearly, if Shane Sykin holds you in high quarterback regard, that means something to me. And, you know, he started multiple games for Steichen as the play caller, beat the last two years with Philly, and then obviously Shane thought highly enough of him to bring him here and hold a really valuable role, whether that is, again, as that bridge guy or as that backup. Um, you know, he started 12 games as a rookie. That was a question that I tossed his way yesterday. Like, that's, I mean, 12 games as a rookie obviously is a huge number, especially when he was not expected to be the starter for Jacksonville. So I think that aspect will help Anthony Richardson. And then just the fact that they know each other, you know, just trying to picture Richardson coming back in the building this week and the fact that he has worked out before with with Gardner, I I would think from a a relationship standpoint, an icebreaker standpoint, those sorts of things, he kind of already got that out of the way, uh, given the fact that they did work out, uh, not a whole lot, but certainly a couple times uh, back in the spring. Kev, was that knowledge that you had already had? Because maybe I had forgotten it, but that was surprising. And he obviously talked about a little bit later what it does to be able to have a previous relationship with an incoming rookie. But was was that surprising to you to know that Anthony Richardson and Minshew had had time together already, uh, having the same quarterback coach that you mentioned in Florida? And if it wasn't, and you already knew that, from your perspective and as you evaluate this team, he stressed the need for unity within that quarterback room and not having me guys there but having an entire room that is focused on the same goal how important is that entire mixture for this quarterback room yeah I think it's vital I mean I guess there's no way for me to say this without it being a shot at Carson Wentz but you know I've heard a lot of people kind of debate hey will Carson Wentz ever come back in the NFL will he play again this or that and me just speaking from what I would want if I were running a team I would not want Carson Wentz as my backup just because I think there is a lot of kind of volatility to maybe not necessarily him as a person all the way, but just the storyline with him. And I hope that makes sense. Like, you know, like Johnny Manziel, if you were to bring him in as your backup, oh my gosh, could you imagine just like, again, from a volatility storyline standpoint, you know, I get, I get that Wentz isn't in the same boat, but it, it is kind of similar to me. Whereas, whereas uh, Minshew, it's like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, according to Matty Bowen, he's the hot dude with the mustache. Like, I mean, that's that's like it with them, you know, which I think is like the perfect sort of background that you would want. And then on top of that, again, he's got this psychic experience. Um, I, I did know that him and Richardson had worked out. I, ironically enough, it, you know, Gardner was the one that yesterday he mentioned, you know, back when they started working out together, there was part of them that was like, wow. 
uh, this could be my future teammate. You know, Gardner started to kind of connect all the dots of, you know, I would love to play for Shane. The Colts have the fourth overall pick. Uh, you know, I'm not stupid. I know how, the, how all this works. This could happen. And obviously it came to fruition there. We had Will Hewitt, uh, the quarterback's coach, uh, back on our show a couple weeks ago, mainly to talk about Richardson, but he brought up Gardner Minshew as well. So, again, I think from a, you know, Drew Stanton, Matt Hasselbeck, uh, tandem for you know Andrew Lux that, that early part of his career, I think that was just really important for for Luck and, and in a way Richardson, you know it probably matters a little bit more who his backup is because he just has such of a lack of experience entering the league. KB, the Colts have a few more weeks here of the entirety off-season program, which includes that big veteran mini-camp that they will do in June before departing and then returning at the end of July for training camp and everyone getting back together. What are the areas where you think are most critical for the Colts to establish and for Shane Steichen to establish, to integrate in that period of time so that when they come in at the end of July, you're ready to be in position to do the things that you need to do and that are essential to do to start the season in the fashion that you envision? Yeah, I think something I'll certainly be curious about over the next month is do you see one of those kind of late spring veteran signings? Uh, even dating back to the Ryan Grigson era, I think of Mike Adams as kind of the poster child for that. But, um, you know, you have these guys that typically are kind of holding out, waiting out, and, and you brought up the three-day minicamp, Larry. You know, sometimes you just wait for that three-day minicamp, sign a guy who's been in the league for quite a while, and then he's going to be in competition to – win a starting job so you do you go down that path at any position is that right guard is that corner is that safety Uh, i think that's something to keep an eye on you know obviously on field the biggest one is just what do you do at quarterback in terms of reps you know when you think about the three minicamp practices and the 10 otas that's 13 practices they're going to have over the month i mean that's that's a lot of time on the practice field i mean when you think of training camp i get that it's full pads during training camp but you know training camp's what 16, 17 practices. So this is a, a really important time to, I think, make a strong impression on the coaching staff, and then potentially that will influence how those early days at Grand Park go. So how do you divide up the reps between Minshew and Richardson? I assume Minshew would take the, the big-time bulk of that, but you know we had Joel Erickson on our show earlier today, and he said he felt like you know, Richardson could take a third of the starting reps. To me, that's kind of a high number. Um, I, I I'm good with it, but just guessing how the Colts would handle things right now, I don't know. It seems like kind of a high number here in the spring. Uh, And then lastly, just like do any rookies make an impression or two? You know, when you look at the cornerback group, they drafted three corners. Juju Brent's a kid out of Warren Central. He's not full go here in the spring coming off the wrist injury. So if you're Darius Rush, a fifth-round corner out of South Carolina – what a great opportunity to have 13 practices that your fellow draft mate will not get. Now, I'm not saying that to act like Juju Brent all of a sudden won't be able to earn a starting job. He certainly will have that chance. But, you know, if you can all of a sudden take full advantage of having more than a dozen times on the practice field with veterans and rookies mixed together, it's a great opportunity at what I would say is a really wide-open position group in, uh, in, in corner. Kevin Bone with us here. On the Fan Midday Show, you hear him on Kevin and Query 7-10 to 10 throughout the week. KB, to that end about the corners, Larry and I were discussing this earlier. I know the question is half answered in how they attacked the cornerback position in this draft, but when you look at Gilmore being gone and you look at contract years for Kenny Moore and Isaiah Rogers, how imperative is 
the learning curve to be kind of jumped to some extent with some of the corners they drafted and how much measurement is going to be from the scouting department and from Steichen and Gus Bradley where this cornerback room is from week one to the end of the season when they have to make tough decisions on if they're going to bring any of more Rodgers back. Yeah, that's such an uncertain position group, not only in 2023, but to your point, Jimmy, you know, beyond when you bring up the contract gears for Rodgers and more. I'd also point out with Rodgers, I think we saw it at times early last season, certainly a favoritism from Gus Bradley to play Brandon Faison. I mean, Gus Bradley likes corners that are tall and long, and that's not Isaiah Rodgers. He's not 5'8", but he's not 6'1", 6'2", either like some of those other guys are that they just drafted. So, you know, naturally you're going to have a bit of a turnover of a roster in terms of skill set and, and, you know, size that you like. Now, I think Rodgers has played good enough football that he deserves a great opportunity. So I'll be interested to see how that one plays out. But I mean, they, they lost so much at corner. Um, they have some young guys there. You know, Jimmy, I, I'm kind of in this boat at corner and safety right now where I'm good with the youth movement. Now, I'm not good at the youth movement at every single position group, but for the secondary and I guess the defense in general, I'm okay with it. You know, where I'm not necessarily okay with it is, again, at like a position of like right guard where, you know, in Will Fries, I mean, he's a seventh-round pick. I don't think you just sharpie him in into the starting lineup. Um, I think that's something that you still look for a veteran. The depth on the offensive line has really very little proven depth at all. Uh, if you even want to call it depth. And we saw how that group, you know, had some issues last season. And and where I think you have to realize, okay, youth movement, okay on defense, not okay on offense. For me, the support of Anthony Richardson has got to be paramount whenever you hand him the keys to the car. So that is an area where I would like to see a little bit more free agency attention. And there are some names out there that you could go down that that path because um, you don't want to break your rookie quarterback from an offensive line standpoint or just anywhere offensively for that matter. Uh, so I think it's vital to try and make sure that you bolster some of those areas around him. KB, in having a few weeks now to she- to see Shane Steichen at work with this group as an entirety, not even just the offense, hear from him, hear from the players, hear from the coordinators and the assistant coaches from the outside. I mean, I see the differences that he's making internally and what he has done to certainly take his identity and impress it upon this group. But from your perspective, where do you see Shane kind of putting his fingerprints on the mentality of this team and how he wants this team to conduct himself, even though maybe we haven't seen an entirety of, okay, this is what the offense looks like, but more so in terms of his philosophy, where are you seeing that impact the most? Yeah, that's a good question, Larry. It almost seems like he has the mentality of like, or at least I think I would kind of feed into the mentality of this dude is so freaking smart. How do you not want to follow him? (laughs) Like, we're just going to have a schematic advantage to steal a phrase that Charlie Weiss used to use in Notre Dame, which obviously blew up his face, but neither here nor there. Uh, I just feel like the Colts are going to have an advantage offensively, or at least players are going to buy into that, which I think is is important. And, and, you know, Frank Reich obviously um, had some very strong uh, moments and stretches as an offensive coach as well. Uh, But I think what what, what impressed me about Sykin, and I would throw the whole offensive staff into this boat, they are very young, very inexperienced. But is there one thing that you can kind of point to is they all have a bit of a 
modern background to the to the game. You know, when you think about the NFL game, it's it's changed a bit, particularly on offense, particularly the style of quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson is not Peyton Manning from a stylistic standpoint. So are you open-minded to that? Well, their quarterback's coach has worked with Cam Newton and Kyler Murray. Um, they have two offensive assistants that came from the Giants from last year. Well, anyone watched the Giants last year, they were one of the more dual-threat quarterback, run-game-centric offenses, an, an offense that has very little talent at receiver, tight end, and I would say even quarterback as well. But, yeah, they got a lot out of their group. And then Tom Manning at tight ends coach, and he was an offensive coordinator in college for Brock Purdy. So those are just some interesting sort of backgrounds offensively that Shane Sykin has surrounded himself with. And, again, I think it kind of caters to being open-minded to, okay, what does Anthony Richardson do well? You know, how can we cater the offense to him? So I think just in general from a team standpoint, it'll be more kind of on the brainiac side of things, of the belief and the all-ball sort of aspect that we are used to with Sykin so far. Uh, But then from an offensive standpoint, I do think it's a staff that has a lot of unique backgrounds, which I think is important to try and kind of building an offense that probably has to look a little bit more kind of Saturday-like at times with Anthony Richardson. Kevin Bowen with us here on the Fan Midday Show. A couple days ago, Kev, you wrote on 107.5thefan.com about where Bernard Ryman is at in terms of just the weight that he's put on and the expectations that are around him. There's already going to be so much pressure on this offensive line to have a bounce back year, not just because it impacts what either quarterback Richardson or Minshew will do under center, but also what it opens up for Jonathan Taylor as he looks to return to form in his own right. When you look individually at Bernard Ryman and the expectations that are on him, but also how he's approached the offseason to this point, what have been your takeaways? Well, I I guess I'll start here, Jimmy. I think Bernard Ryman, you can make a very strong case he's the most important Colts player uh, here in 2023. Um, not only because the position he plays is vitally important, but if he screws up or doesn't do well, that could obviously impact how Anthony Richardson grows here in year one, which is the biggest storyline in year one of, of, of just Richardson's individual growth. Uh, you know, obviously, what, what stands out to you the most is the weight gain, and Chris Ballard you know, said that at the end of the year. Ryman's got to get stronger. Remember his background. I mean, it was a Vienna Vikings wide receiver turned you know, tight end at Central Michigan offensive tackle just for two years so you know he's had this slow kind of weight gain and I think yeah he was 300 pounds last year but there were times where where kind of power got the best of him so you know gaining the 15 to 20 pounds like you mentioned was step one and I think Jeff Saturday deserves some credit for this you know there was a lot of fluctuation with the offensive line obviously Saturday opted for more of a veteran quarterback when he first came on and took the job here but he stuck with a rookie at left tackle. And I do think amidst all the dumpster fire that was going on over the last two months, if there was a bright spot, it was Bernard Ryman, you know, making some strides as a rookie. So uh, he is just so critical to not only this season, but moving forward. Because, you know, when you think about the most important position in sports, or in football, I should say, left tackle's high on that list. And if you're able to cross that off with a third-round draft pick for the next couple of years on that rookie deal, that's huge in terms of not having to worry about that position, not trying, to, not needing to invest with other major resources. So I think for all those reasons, uh, really big for Ryman. But you know, whether it was with us last Friday, Alaire, I know he's been on with, with with you guys and Matt. 
I mean, he just has such an unbelievable spirit about him. And the work ethic is through the roof. And I think those are all important qualities to have because you knew some work was needed when he came out of college. He, he I thought he had a nice progression from a really poor start in Denver on that Thursday night. And now if he can take a big jump in year two, that would do wonders for the future of this football team. No doubt, for sure, KB. Awesome to get to talk to you. And we're kind of trading places. I'm I'm in here and where you're usually sitting, you're out there. So fun to be in the big chair uh, this afternoon and always good to get to catch up with you outside of just, you know, our media room banter. Well, are you... Well, the. Honestly, the biggest chair would be Jake's chair because the ego's got to fit into that chair. So are you in that one? Or you I think I am in Jake's chair. I know. Okay. All right. Yeah, those are some big shoes to fill. So I hope hopefully the hot air isn't getting to you too much there. But always enjoy talking with you. Jimmy, do we have a Preakness pick? Not yet. I'll have one tomorrow. I do have one question out of you, though, not Colts related. Um yeah. I mentioned this to you last week. I'm going to Great American for the first time as an adult. Yankees are in town, cards on the table. But I've asked Eddie about this. Want to get your thoughts? Any guidance? Good eats? Stuff I should do before the game? Any any advice in that regard? Well, I had my bachelor party in Cincinnati, so maybe we should talk offline. <laughs> okay. I, would say, I would say the area right around the stadium is is tremendous, and assuming the weather is going to cooperate, that is an absolute must. I enjoyed the. Uh, the Rheingeist, uh, that, that, that was a great spot. It's not necessarily in that general range, but if you want to venture up into that area, uh, it's a great time as well. So if you're looking for a little bit like, I don't know, not necessarily higher end, but I would say kind of that Newport side of things, a little bit kind of like a nicer restaurant feel, which is around the ballpark. You have a little bit of that, but you also can get a tin roof scene or something along sure. those lines there. But I would say the uh, the ballpark area is so great. I mean, we're fortunate here in like this market where all of our stadiums are so centrally located. Obviously, Cincinnati's got that with, with, with both of theirs. So take full advantage of everything down there on the water. It's very helpful. I appreciate you as always, KB. Uh, yes, I would say good luck to your Yankees, but I do not mean that. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> and I would say the same about the Reds, but I wouldn't mean it in this case either. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> It's Kevin Bowen, our very own. You can hear him 7 to 10 on Kevin and Query. And of course, does a fantastic job covering the Colts on 1075thefan.com. One of the best. Yep. Just always just so much fun getting to uh, catch up with him. And I love the fact that he has already indoctrinated young Rosie Bowen to the Speedway experience. She's getting back out there this year. It's so much fun. Early and often. Very yes, important. Exactly. Exactly. Teach him young. Exactly. No, I, I completely agree. And as we joked with Kevin there in terms of so far throughout the early goings in this lead up to next weekend's Indianapolis 500. Good to see in general the youth movement. Good to see kids out there. I know you mentioned plenty of plenty of grade school students that whether playing hooky or not, making an opportunity to be able to get out to the speedway. That's always really cool. We've dabbled in a lot of the Colts will shift gears once again, this time going big picture in the NBA as Katie Wingy is going to join us. She'll give us the perspective out in Denver as they get set for game two of the Western Conference Finals. Nuggets lead that series one to nothing. That'll be on here on the fan around nine o'clock in progress following Beyond the Bricks. Katie Wingy joins myself and Lara when we return. Welcome back to the fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. 
and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Today's show with Larry Overton, I'm Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison with us as well. Colts offseason activities, workouts, the whole nine in full swing for the Indianapolis Colts. And nice enough to take some time with us today is Colts defensive end Quiddy Pay. Quiddy, thanks so much for making the time as always and, and how things go out there today. Things are going pretty good. Thank you for having me. Of course. Very happy to have you along. Quiddy, I usually just get to grab you in the hallway and have these conversations, but it's fun to get to have you on the radio and get to talk to you to a greater mass audience this afternoon. And one of the things that we've talked about is the continuity among the defense, having so many veterans returning and also being able to enjoy a second season under Gus Bradley. And I know it's never fair to really compare one season to the next, but with this being the second year that you guys will be able to have under Gus, how far ahead do you guys feel as a defense as opposed to this time last year when you guys were still installing this defense? I think I think we're way ahead now. Um, you know, as that's Going into the year two in this defense, you know, just having the younger guys, uh, we're kind of teaching them along the way and just showing them, you know, how it looks and watching other defenses that have similar fronts to us and, you know, this, this uh, similar mindset. So it's, it's way easier this time around. Quiddy, when you look back at everything that you had to learn and grasp as a rookie and then you look at this year's rookie class, what, if any, advice have you passed along and, and how hard is it for a rookie to immediately grasp the pace of things and how the day-to-day changes once you've made it to the NFL? I think for me, um, something that, you know, even Coach Nate speaks about, like I don't really remember a lot of my good plays, but if he pulls up a bad play, I'll know exactly what I messed up on and how I could fix it, you know. So really, you know, just not sticking on, you know, all the good stuff that you do because in reality, like, you do it well. But the bad stuff is, you know, how teams take advantage of, you know, your mistakes or whatever. So, you know, you just want to eliminate that. And if you can do that, have as uh, the the least amount of mistakes as possible, then, then you'll be good in this league. So. Yeah. One of the rookies most pertinent in terms of your position group, defensive tackle Aditamiwa Adabare. He has a lot of versatility, but kind of prides himself on the skill set that he has as a three tech. What have his impressions, immediate impressions been upon this defensive line group that we know is just such an incredible group, of both of veterans and young emerging talent that you guys have? Uh, he's extremely fast off the ball and extremely explosive, you know, strong, you know, good build. So I feel like he's somebody where this defense is going to serve him well. Being able to play to his strengths, uh, you know, just getting up the ball, flying around and, you know, just, just wreaking havoc. So it will be great to have someone of, of his caliber on our defense. You know, he, he 280 runs a two, I mean, a 4-4. So that's that's incredible. 
when you get on the field and you're finally able to kind of see a mix of both the rookies now working with veterans, when you see a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, what are the things that you immediately know you're going to have to account for and what he is going to do to make your job coming off the edge so difficult? Yeah, uh, going into game weeks when we just have pocket passers, you know, the rush plan isn't as detailed and, and there's not much, you know, that goes into it. But once you get a quarterback where the whole playbook is open as far as like the core, just QB runs in there, QB draws. When we're doing our rushes, we we got to make sure, you know, we got to account for all the gaps because if not, this quarterback can run, take off that in the field and uh, – Having him to go up against and practice every day is going to prepare this year against the Ravens, you know, against the Eagles, against a bunch of these other teams that that we play. So um, it'll be great. And he's he's another freak athlete that, you know, is going to be amazing to uh, compete against. Quiddy Pay, Colts defensive end, joining us here on The Fan. Quiddy, you had to power through a lot of adversity, particularly on the injury front last year. How important is it when you're starting a season to have as close to a full bill of health as possible so you're not having to to manage that right out of the gate? And, and how have you focused and tried to get your body right through that in the offseason? Yeah, uh, last year I kind of dealt with that high ankle. Um, came back a little bit too early and then re-injured it again. So this offseason that's kind of all I really focused on, trying to get all the scar tissue up out of there. Um getting the strength back into the ankle, into the foot, and then into the calf. Um, and for me, I just, every year, every every offseason, you kind of just pick up things um, to help you perform better. So, you know, my rookie year, I kind of dealt with the soft tissue injury, so I started doing the hot yoga. And then, you know, this past year, just I couldn't really do anything about the high ankle sprain because that was somebody, you know, physically stepping on my ankle as I was turning. But, you know, I was just doing stuff to um, to make sure I'm, I'm prepared while going to games to limit my injuries because I felt as if I was going into a good year, you know, playing well, and then the injury kind of set things back, and um, I wasn't able to help this team as much as I wanted to. Quiddy, last one from me. You and I have had a lot of conversations about how you've invested time in the previous off-seasons going with DeForest Buckner and working on your technique and spending a bit of time, a significant chunk of your off-season and working with him. When you guys are released from the complex after the vet minicamp and you have some time, what is your immediate focus when you have a couple of weeks leading into training camp so that you're able to walk in and be where you want to be that uh, last week of July stepping onto the field at Grand Park? Yeah, I think for me, going into the odd seasons, I just try to be as humble as possible and um, uh, just try to be a sponge. You know, going with Buck uh, and then going with other vets that I trained with Buck and stuff, just being able to pick their mind about certain things because those guys have been in the league forever. They've been all pros. They've been, you know, uh, pro bowlers and stuff like that. So for me, I just want to be able to absorb as much information as I can and, um just get get into uh, this past year. I feel like I was trying to do too much as far as like learn too many rushes and whatnot. But I, you really just need a one-two, a go-to move and a counter after that, and if anything, a third move at most. So for me, just really watch all of my film, go through, uh, diagnose like all the wins, all the losses, and what works for me, and you know just things to improve on small detailing, and you know just be ready for camp. 
He's Colt defensive end Quiddy Pay. Quiddy, all the best to you the rest of the offseason and appreciate you making some time with us today. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Always good to get an opportunity to catch up with Quiddy Pay. Good that things are still rolling for him and the Colts as they continue to grind through this transitional period between now and, as you mentioned, there, there's a little bit of a gap, but for these players, it, there's not a ton of turnaround between now and when training camp begins in July. You have no opportunity to let the foot off the gas. It's pretty much full steam ahead uh, from that point on, for sure. When we come back, Katie Wing going to join us, covers the Denver Nuggets on the regular for Altitude TV She's getting ready for game two of the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Nuggets. We'll get her her perspective from Denver when we come back. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton here for the final time on the Fan Midday Show. We'll dive right into it. Katie Wingy of Altitude TV covers the Nuggets as a reporter, host, and analyst. Nice enough to make some time with us here on the Fan. On what is an incredibly busy day for Very, her. very busy across the board uh, with the Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. You know how much it means for Denver. Katie, how much is this chess match going to shape up in terms of the defensive game plan around Denver's Nikola Jokic here in Game 2? I think it has to be important for the Lakers to come in and try and find a way to slow Nikola Jokic down, but Honestly, guys, good luck. It almost to try doing is just allowing Joker to get his and saying, if you're going to put up 50 on us, that's fine. We're not going to let anybody else do what they've been doing so far in this series because the Nuggets to have six players in double figures, you just everybody can hurt you in a different way. And so for Los Angeles, you saw some adjustments be made in that second half against Nikola Jokic, I have a feeling that they'll go back to some of those, maybe to start the game, maybe at different points of the game. Um, but Nikola Jokic and admire his greatness and recognize what he's capable of doing and throw a bunch of different looks at him. So a bit of backstory. I have like a fangirled over Katie from afar, followed all of her social media, followed her on Instagram, all of that. And like we'll banter and trade messages. So I hit her up. I slid in the DMs to persuade her to come on and join us. So I'm so excited that we finally get the opportunity to get to do this. And, you know, Darvin Ham joked that the only way to stop Jokic is to basically kidnap him, which was pretty well proven in game one what is something though that allows this team to be successful and you talked about the number of players that they have and the versatility that they have but what is something that is unsung about this team this Denver team that has won allowed them to be so successful and one that people maybe don't give enough recognition to well first and foremost so great to hear your voice and meet you in a radio sense (laughs) as opposed to just on social media I was happy to jump on Glad the timing worked. Um, But, you know, I I, honestly, I really think it's the locker room. And I know that sounds kind of like a cop-out answer. It sounds like, oh, well, of course we can't see that. And every team that's in the finals probably has a great locker room environment. But I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that. Because what I mean is the selflessness of this Nuggets roster from top to bottom and the willingness to sacrifice and say whatever the team needs to do to win – I mean, you look at a guy like Aaron Gordon and what he was like on Orlando when he was down there and what he is now on the Denver Nuggets team. I mean, he has been called the unsung hero in a lot of ways for this Nuggets team because he's willing to go out and just be the defensive stopper. He's going to find ways to contribute in terms of scoring, and I actually think tonight's game is going to be a big AG game just based on the way that 
the Lakers change some things up against Nikola Jokic. I think he might have a few more opportunities. But he doesn't care how many points he scores. And that's pretty much every player on this team is like, you know what, I could have five points one night. I could have 25 points one night. I might get three shots one night or eight shots one night, and then I might have a night where I get like 15 shots. And every player is so bought in to their role because they all collectively so badly want to bring the first championship to the Mile High City. So I think that selflessness, that willingness to just like do whatever the team needs for them to win and the culture that has been established. It is such a brotherhood. It is, it feels like I've heard a lot of the guys compare it to like a college locker room because they all genuinely care for each other and about each other. And you see that translate in the chemistry on the floor. Where's been the biggest area of growth you've seen from this team when they made the conference finals against the Lakers in the bubble a couple of years ago and and this core of of Jamal Murray and of Nikola Jokic as they've made this ascent to not only a one seed, but like you mentioned, hoping to deliver an NBA title for the first time in franchise history. Again, it seems obvious, but it's experience. Like there is no greater teacher than experience of playing in these types of environments, playing in this situation before. And you can feel it amongst Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic. I mean, even Michael Porter Jr. They've matured a lot over the past couple seasons. And the bubble was such a unique atmosphere. The last time this team was in the Western Conference Finals against this Laker team, I'm just one, I'm so happy for the Nuggets to be able to experience this again with a full arena, with everything that that entails and the atmosphere that grows from it and and the way that the city of Denver has kind of latched on and supported this this group of, of guys that's trying to do something they've never done. But the way that the Nuggets have carried themselves, the quiet confidence that they have, even last after the last game, uh, one of the things that Coach Malone talked about was there was no panic at any point as the Lakers were making their run. It was all poise. And with that in mind, I think that kind of answers your question of, like, where have they grown the most? It's, it's the way they carry themselves. It's the mentality. There's no freaking out when a team makes a run. There's no, oh, I need to do this all myself. I'm going to try and take over this game and be the hero. It's just cool, calm, and collected. The relationships that have been developed because of what they've been through, the adversity that they've faced, the roles that they all have embraced, they all are just like, okay, we got this get back to playing Denver Nuggets basketball and we'll go from there. You mentioned how much this whole team has energized Denver and rallied this fan base around them. Um, count my husband among the growing fans you have in Indianapolis because he <laughs> loves to watch this team. He's like, this is like old school appreciation basketball that I have as a kid growing up in Indiana who loves this style. Katie's a fantastic totally. follow. She has all sorts of great content, Twitter and Instagram. Among those, most recently, you have your like big takeaways, the things that stood out from the post shoot around availability really quickly kind of the biggest thing you heard from the guys following that shoot around the the confidence of the Denver Nuggets given they watched the film on the last game and coach Malone said this is probably the perfect scenario for Denver right like they still got the win in game one so you're correcting things and talking about things after you won the game but the Nuggets are really excited because they did not play their best game. And there are a lot of things that they feel like they can clean up. And they still got the win. So I think that this reassurance that, okay, we were able to watch the film. We were able to regroup. We now know what we need to do. We now know what we can do. And you force the Lakers to play their first card 
in the second half. Mm-hmm. They, they ended up going a little bit smaller. You saw Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis kind of as that free safety. And with that in mind, and LeBron James trying to like target Jamal Murray and pick and rolls, those are all adjustments in game that now the Nuggets forced the Lakers to make in game one, and they still won the game. So you kind of know what they're probably going to come out with. You can game plan accordingly, uh, correct your scout and change some things, maybe change up your lineups or things that you're looking for, knowing that that's what the Lakers are going to throw at you. So I think it's, it's what I've heard from practice and things like that is like, we feel very confident knowing our game plan and knowing how game one was executed. Katie, thanks so much for making time for us. Can't wait for game two. Yeah, me too. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's Katie Wingy with us here on The Fan. Rive JMV is next. We'll see you tomorrow.